Hey, welcome to RushCast. I'm Jay Mantis. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here listening, and I'm glad you're participating. If you aren't participating, you should be. Send me an email, send me some audio clips, and we can continue the Rush, rush discussion. Today, I have... First of all, let me start with the most important thing I have to tell you. On my Twitter is something very important. I call it Rush Cat. If you haven't seen Rush Cat, you need to see it. I'm a fan of Rush. I'm a fan of cats. So I created Rush Cat. Okay? Go to our Twitter, at RushCast2112. Follow us and all those nice things. But also check out what I posted recently. I tweeted a video of what's called Rush Cat. And it is, in fact, uh, if you're a Power Windows fan or a fan of that era, you will enjoy Rush Cat. Um, this cat happens to be a big fan of the song Marathon. Has been training for numerous amount, uh, numerous years. Muchos years. Muchos años. Oh, it's all coming back. But this cat plays a little bit of Marathon, and I think you'll enjoy it. It's good stuff. Rush Cat. Look it up. So, last episode, I talked about distant early warning, and I, I, I mentioned how much I would rather hear Between the Wheels, which it rotated out with on this tour, and I, I said some things that people kind of got like a little riled up about, and I listened to it recently. I've been listening to it a lot since that episode because so many of you wrote in defending the song a lot of people who were around when that song came out um said this was in heavy radio rotation which is a weird concept for me because rush on the radio has always just been free will subdivisions tom sawyer spirit what else i mean i've heard just an early warning on the radio just not very frequently I'm missing a big uh, Red Barchetta once in a while on the radio. You know what I mean, the big ones. If I hear Distant Early Warning on the radio, I'm loving it because it's a rare radio track for me. But I guess in the 80s, you know, the mid-80s, it was a bigger deal. It was on a lot more often. It really is a heavy track. It's it's heavy. I I like it. Uh, Parts of... Grace Under Pressure feel not so heavy to me, and parts of it feel really heavy. Like, synthesizer-wise, yeah, that was a heavy album. It was They were heavy, dense synthesizer sounds. Uh, Guitar-wise, I don't think it was. And bass-wise, I know it wasn't. <laughs> okay, Getty's playing as Steinberger. The bass with no body and no headstock. And uh, as a bassist, it hurts that my favorite bassist played one of those, because they had an awful sound, but... No, not a huge deal. The The point is, I could totally see how that would be played um, on the radio a lot. And it, it's, for me, with any of these songs, you go back to the Spirit of Radio compilation disc, which is one of the first things I had exposed to me as a Rush, a growing Rush fan. All of those songs are good representations, in my opinion, of songs that carried out well on the radio. You know, there's some uh, more abstract ones like Time Stand Still. Maybe you you older fans can tell me. I may, I assume that played well on the radio back then. I wasn't around. I happen to think that's one of the best Rush songs. 
even on that uh, you know that compilation but uh in new world man if i hear new world man on the radio i'm like really <laughs> you know like good i like hearing different stuff but that's a good representation of songs that i rarely listen to anymore the, especially the ones that get a lot of radio play right the first half of that compilation i i never go out of my way to listen to those songs i've never and i know a lot of you are different um, than me in this sense i've never pulled out my ipod and said you know what i just really want to listen to closer to the heart today or i've been dying to hear tom sawyer i haven't heard spirit of radio in forever you know let me pull out free will it's just if i'm gonna listen to them or go out of my way to listen to them i'm gonna listen to like a live version like oh man spirit of radio was so good on blah 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 tour let me go listen to that live album or, or something along those lines Working Man from Time Machine was a huge one. But I, uh, in terms of hearing, I hear the radio or the uh, the studio cuts of those songs so often on the radio that it, it just, they're so watered down to me in terms of having like a, right? But then when I go back and listen to, for example, Distant Early Warning, the studio version, I'm like, you know what? This is a killer tune. And I knew that when I first listened to Grace, I mean, that was the number one song. Like a lot of the albums, that top track got a lot of play usually, and it was usually one of the stronger tracks, but I just wore it out. I wore it out so hard, and I listened to a lot of uh, Russian Rio today, and bass players, you got to agree, that's some of, that's got to be his best bass tone. If you're into like the high gain stuff, it's great bass tone, and it sounds fantastic on that on that live record. Distant Early Warning was one of the first bass lines I ever learned, and I thought it was really hard at the time. Speaking of that Steinberger, the, uh, somebody's doing... I can't. I, I forgot to... I was going to talk about this later, but we should bring it up now. I don't remember who's putting it on specifically, but it's uh, they're called Wet Rush Webisodes for R40. R40 Webisodes. I saw one with John Dinklage, the violinist, and... They're doing one with, or maybe I have talked about it. We, they're doing one with Getty's bass, uh, all those basses that he's pulling out uh, for each show. And he mentioned something and I think, part two about how he, reg- it almost seemed like he regretted ever playing the Steinberger. He said something like he, he would never play one again or something along those lines. It felt good because I just don't think they sound fantastic. The other thing is like talking about songs that you don't, that maybe you wear out. Like when when Snakes and Arrows came came out, I was a, just getting to be a big fan, and they announced they were coming out with this album. They released Far Cry a good chunk of time before the rest of the album, and I, I'm sure it was as a single. It was released as a single, but I think that Far Cry and the larger bowls. The Larger Bowl were singles on that album, if I remember. However, Far Cry comes out, and I remember that was the only thing I had from Snakes and Arrows for so long. I listened to that song going to school every day. I I must have heard it a thousand times before the album came out. So, for a long time, Snakes and Arrows started with Armor and Sword. (laughs) for me i just skipped right i couldn't do far cry anymore i just heard it a billion times and i didn't want to listen to it anymore it's just how it works i think you guys understand what i mean i'm sure you've got examples like that you just wear a song out or an album out and you, you just get sick of it sometimes you come back to it later 
I'd be curious to hear from older fans. It was that like a regular trend when albums came out? I know they released singles before and everything, but was there something similar that happened to you where an album's coming out, but first they release the single and you just wear it out? You can't handle it anymore. And it took you a long time to kind of get back to that song. Caravan's another example. Caravan and brought up to believe. You know, uh, we got different versions of them on the album. However, it was you know I had listened to them a nice amount. Before the actual album. Patrick L. Uh, sent me this. On Twitter. Daily Rush Photo is the Twitter account. That Patrick was talking about. They're doing Rush Song Battles. Under the hashtag. Hashtag Rush Song Battles. So thanks to Patrick for letting me know about that. I saw Rush Song Battles and in, in like some sort of bracket, like part of a bracket, and I'm like, ooh, I know what they're doing here. And I think it's a really cool idea, and I've done it before. So Chad and I used to, one day we said, what if we ranked all of the songs? Like did it in bracket format? Like it was probably in March during the basketball stuff. What if we took every song and just, for you, in your opinion, like, does this song beat this song? If so, it moves on to the next round and, and takes the winner from the other section of the bracket, okay? Um, the way Chad and I did it was there was our bracket only included uh, post-permanent waves, so like 1980 and up. We are going to do one for the older ones as well, but it turned out to be so much work it just never happened. Um, I don't remember what Chad's results were. I bet he does. But I remember what mine were. It was a few years ago. So each, I, I went into iTunes and I hit play all Rush songs, but shuffled them, and it gives you a randomized order for each song. So I put them in the bracket in that order, and I ended up with Marathon and Secret Touch in my final, my final game, the championship game. And I don't know which of those two wins, but it's fun to get down to those last two. What's interesting about it is you could have a super deep cut get into like get very far into the tournament think about it if you have like let let's pick a song that maybe pick a medium a middle of the road song like second nature okay maybe you're just kind of like in the middle yeah I don't, I don't love it i don't hate it that song could get almost all the way to the final game if it matches up with even poorer songs in your opinion if each round it matches up with a song that you don't like as much it's not even middle of the road right and it goes all the way to the final where it meets tom sawyer or some juggernaut that made it all the way through so it's an interesting thing they're doing like a uh, daily rush photos doing a Tweet in, I believe you tweet in or you reply to their tweet which uh, song you want to win. And they do it like several a day. So it'll move pretty quickly. And I'll be interested to see those results. We'll definitely talk about that once they have it. Keep forgetting to talk about this. It, on the same lines as Distant Early Warning and not, a, you know, loving it at first, then it drops off, and then I realize how much I really do love it uh, is the album 2112. So, 2112 is their fourth album, third with Neil. And in for for me, I, there have always been at least 19 albums of Rush. 
So when I introduced to these albums, I had never taken into account what they meant at the time they came out. I always knew, I knew the order. You know, I I, I bought Presto and I'm like, oh, it's after Hold Your Fire and before Roll the Bones. Got it. But that's all I really cared about. Then I thought about, what if you're a fan in the late 70s and you, you know, you love the first album. Fly By Night comes out and it's even better. I, if I were a fan then, Fly By Night compared to the first album, like, that's not even, a, for me, as a progressive rock fan, Fly By Night, mm, yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm looking for. Progressive Steel, I like that too, very cool. But then 2112 comes out. And now, for me, as a 23-year-old, I have to, when thinking about this, forget that all of the other albums after that exist, because they don't exist yet. A Farewell to Kings, no. Moving Pictures has not happened. Spirit of Radio is not a song yet. 2112, compare it to only what came before it. And you guys might be thinking, well, that's stupid, duh. (laughs) But for me, I never thought about it like that. I have to realize, and I knew it was fourth, I knew what year it came out, I just was always comparing it to my favorites, Power Windows. Like, yeah, 2112 is good, but like, I'm going to listen to Power Windows. No, you can't do that, Jay. Power Windows doesn't exist yet. Okay? So think about it as their fourth album for me, and that's like, what a juggernaut. What a, like, a great collection of songs. 2112 as a song is a beast. I don't have to tell you that. It reminds me, there are other bands I listened to, or had listened to, who had similar things like this. Um, more poppy rock groups that do this, where their fourth album drops, and you've loved everything up until then. Maybe they got a little bit better with each album, but then that fourth one comes out, and you're like, this is just better than everything I've had up until this point from this band. And it would have been so cool to experience that with Rush. And I know a lot of you are older than me, but I don't. Th- I know a lot of you started around like 81, 82, and you're what they call the second generation or whatever, however they label it. You came in after moving pictures or signals. That's totally cool. That feels like a, you know... A century ago to me but then there are the people who even you know even you guys didn't experience what i'm talking about i would love i would love to hear from somebody who's been a fan since fly by night or something because i think that would be incredible and then to say what comes out after that a farewell to king's hemispheres to close out that kind of era and then we turn rush kind of turns into a different animal People like me would, I like both animals, and I would argue that Rush collectively, up until now, is about four different animals, <laughs> right? Where Have you ever considered where those lines were? When I first started geeking out with people before I had the show, I only really knew Chad, and Chad, who was at my level, fandom-wise, and I would talk, I was always interested in where do you think the lines are, okay? So, for me, it goes... Obviously, it's a line after the first album. Uh, then after Hemispheres, the prog stuff's kind of done. From Permanent Waves up to... Like, Signals or Grace, somewhere in there. 
power windows through hold your fire. They're their own thing. Maybe you could throw Grace in there. Then definitely a huge line at Presto. And you get Presto, roll the bones, throw in the other 90s. The other 90s albums. Like, I don't, I don't even <laughs> label Test for Echo. I don't even say its name. I'm like, yeah, that other 90s album. It's the most neglected album, you guys. Counterparts, Test for Echo, throw them in there with Bones and Presto. And then the big break. And then this is where we are now with these last three albums. That's just for me how it lays out. All right, let's do... We're, we're getting... The more I plan for these shows, we're getting more of a set form we're getting more organization and everything's starting to kind of fall into place within how the format of the episode rolls maybe you haven't noticed maybe i'm nuts but that's just how it feels to me so we're gonna start call we're gonna start labeling things with super geeky and unnecessary labels so this is our digital digital discussion is what we're gonna call it each time we have a digital discussion, it's going to be what I'm prompting you to respond to. I'm going to give you, I have a bunch of these listed out that I'm going to do one every episode. Uh, last time it was, what do you think the most neglected album was? And people wrote in and said, I think it's something other than Test for Echo, and I told them they were wrong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Today's digital discussion, here we go. I want to hear your top three Rush albums. You know by now that my top three are tied for first. I can't decide which order they're in, which one's first, second, or third, but I know there's a three-way tie for my favorite Rush album, and I want to know what yours is. If I get enough, I'll tally them up, and we'll see which album got the most votes, but I need enough people to do it. What are your top three albums? Mine are Power Windows, Counterparts, and Snakes and Arrows, without a doubt. Those three have always been tied for first for me thought about maybe making it five but it gets really like a very gray area ish around there i think i would probably put vapor trails hold your fire and hemispheres would probably be in the next round you know the four five and six position for me but we're not talking about that i just want to hear your top three and i know i didn't mention the big guys in there my top six does not include the big albums Moving pictures, 2012, blah blah blah. Right? I think we're gonna see. You know, they're great albums. I just, I like the, I like the other stuff better. You know, a lot of you guys like the old stuff, and I'm a baby, and I like the new stuff because I haven't been around as long. I think a lot of you are gonna have Clockwork in here. Clockwork seems to be a huge, in the in the grand scheme of things, it seems to be up there on people's lists. I'm really curious to see. What are your top three? albums the way you participate is you email me rushcast2112 at gmail.com you can also send me an audio clip of you speaking for about a minute and i'll play it on the show and i will react to it can't wait to hear who thinks what maybe it'll just be everybody says moving pictures 2112 and a farewell to kings and that'll be the end of it i don't know Hi, my name's John Bent. My three favorite Rush albums are The Chronicles, The Tom Sawyer, and The White Album. So send that in. We have uh, this is the best part of the show, in my opinion, is where we can we can have discussions like this and geek the heck out. 
I'm looking forward to... I, like I said, I have a ton of them uh, written up. People send me new ideas every day. I get tweets and emails all the time from you guys, and I really appreciate that. People say, hey, have you ever considered... Have you ever considered this idea, or have you ever considered talking to this person, or doing this kind of ranking? And those—that's fantastic. We're gonna, I'm going to get to them all. I just want to do one per episode, per episode, so I can kind of extend the life here. I mean, according to everybody, Rush is dead, and we don't have any more tours or albums, which is false. Don't believe that. They're—they're—they're going to keep producing material. I think we get an album. I think we get another album without a doubt. Alex came out recently and said he wishes he hadn't... He said he almost wishes he hadn't mentioned that he had the arthritis. Because people are are taking it and running with it. Oh, I can see he's in pain, this tour. He's like, oh, I've had this for 12 years. You just didn't know about it. If he was really in pain, there would be other issues. But you read the separate interviews between Ged and Alex. Those two both want to play. You know, they, they just respect Neil's situation. That's all. I would not be shocked to see sometime down the line either the next thing we see or after another Rush album to see Getty do a solo album. And I would love it. I love my favorite headache. I want to bring in a guest now. We're calling it the New World Guest because we're sticking with the cheesy names for all these things. The New World Guest today. I want to welcome Brian Jacob in from New Jersey, United States of America. Hey, Brian. How's it going, Jay? Awesome. I appreciate you being here. Uh, you went to the Newark show, I think. You were at the Newark show? That's right. And how was it? That was the only one you went to, I think. For this tour? Yeah, it yes. was. Uh, how was it? It was... Um, it was uh, an interesting and phenomenal experience on a couple of levels. I mean, the show was fantastic, and as I'm sure you know, it was uh, a unique set list, and we got the surprise with uh, Johnny Dinklage showing up to do Losing It. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a personal level, it was really cool. Rush was actually my very first concert. I'm Rush and I are both celebrating our <clears throat> 41st uh, years <laughs> this year, so my, they were my first concert. Um Presto was the first tour I'd gone to see. Interesting. Um, Twenty-five years ago now, which is crazy, but that's <laughs> true. Um, and I've seen them a couple times since. And uh, on this tour, I got to take um, my older son, so who's eight years old. So that was a real neat kind of feeling and moment to to share this uh, with a new generation. Totally, yeah. Uh, uh, it must have been really cool to see losing it at Newark because I think that was the the first time they played losing it after Toronto. I think that's right. Yeah, and I figured that was like a one and done or totally. twice and done, I guess, for the for the DVD. And then, you know, I had taken a peek at the set list, um, really just to kind of prep my my son and my wife came along too, and so just to kind of, you know, I, I'm main rush fan of the household but you know, just to make sure you know like we play some of the tunes at home and kind of know what to expect so uh when they you know they opened with the anarchist but then they went straight to headlong flight like wait a minute something's going on but I'm like all right just gonna go with it yeah and then, yeah uh, so do you a- consider yourself to be uh to lean one way or the other old rush new rush 
or, or mid-rush for the guy who started with Presto? Um, I think mid-rush. I mean, it was it was one. Of, it's a it was I guess a strange thing to discover Rush at that time compared to now because because you've been listening to them for I'm trying to remember how long now just a couple of years right? Yeah, about oh uh, five. Okay, so I mean, uh, so you had the advantage, of course, of being able to check out their music uh, instantly and read up all about them and all that stuff. So. Right. Being a child of the 80s, so like I got turned on to Rush um, when a friend of mine showed me the videotape, not even the DVD, of A Show of Hands. And he said, you got to see this drummer and queued it up to YYZ and it went into uh, the Rhythm Method solo. And from there, it was just like a one-two punch of like Spirit of Ra- the Spirit of Radio and Tom Sawyer and <laughs> then that crazy medley at the end, 2112 and sure. Obvious Giotto and In the Mood. I was like, wow. I, like, I was just blown away by this band. And then I said, I got to watch this tape from the beginning. And it's a pretty 80s-centric set for that oh, yeah, tape, totally. for that video. So it was like, that was my core. So I guess that you'd call that mid-rush, I guess. Yep. Um, and or at so least then that's pre- what I call it today. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what it is today, right? But that was, that was Rush, you know. And then Presto came out. It was very different than what had preceded it, and then kind of going forward from there. So where do um, like Presto and Roll the Bones fit in with you if you were to rank them somehow? Are they top 10? Are they not even close to the bottom? Are they near the top? Uh, I think Presto, I just ha- it's a nostalgia thing for me. That's, that's up there top 10 for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe even inching toward top 5. Roll the Bones... Uh, not as much. There were interesting things on it. Um, I think the first half of that album caught my attention more than the second half. I mean, yes. I listened to it since it was new at the time. I mean, when, or when it came out, I, I listened to it over and over again um, and uh, enjoyed it. But then as the years go on, like that first half kind of sticks with you more. For me, the I'm glad you said that because I picked up the albums one, maybe two at a time from CD stores. And when I got roll the bones more than any other album i felt like there was an extreme divide in the middle of the album like you said the first half was so drastically different and it was stronger in my opinion at first i thought the first side is way stronger than the second and i don't it's not like it were in the 70s and they're actual vinyls so you know, there, it's not like you have to flip the record over and there was a divide these are you know pretty continuous now so, so I, I just think it's really interesting how it just flips right after Where's My Thing. It's a very different mood for the rest of that album. Yeah, and it was it was strange. Like I thought, I mean, not that it would ha- would have happened, but um, like that, like Ghost of the Chance, Ghost of a Chance was that weird outlier. They're like that could possibly be a single. Who yep. knows? And I think I think I'd read they'd thought that as well. You know, in a dream universe where that sort of thing happened, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's really strange how that just kind of, and who knows what order they were written and recorded in, but just, I guess it comes down to sequencing and yeah. they, they put the big guns up front. Yeah. I listened to Roller Bones today and I, I th- actually an hour ago and I thought this is just so poppy for Rush. Like I love them all and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but they're very poppy. They're very predictable forms to the song. Um, very like mainstream ish synth sounds, you know, not very proggy if you want to use that as a word. Yeah, it's they're just they're you're right, they're very much of their time, and the the production on that is 
a word I hear often is thin, like it's a thinner sound. Yeah. Uh, and then by the time you get to counterparts, that's like a punch in the face when animate starts up. <laughs> and it's just this very raw sound, like, whoa. Now, speaking so. of counterparts, um, we're asking our listeners what their top three albums are, their top three studio albums. If you assume that your top three are kind of, it's kind of a three-way tie for your favorite album. I've always thought I can I can't decide what my favorite album is, but I can agree in my own heart <laughs> that there's a three-way tie. And for me, that's oh. Counterparts, Power Windows and Snakes and Arrows. Do you have three that you can rattle off right now? Uh I would put Power Windows up there for sure. Um right now if I had to pick that might even be my number 1. I think that's such a a strong album and with a, like a really wide range of interesting lyrical ideas. And yeah. there's some, it's, it's struck for me like the right balance between synth and guitar. Cause there is, you know, it's, they've gone on record. There was that tension between Alex and Getty in terms of balancing synth sure. and guitar. And I think they, they found it. I, I heard it as a good balancer. So power windows for sure. Um, I would throw counterparts up there just because, uh, you know, the strength, like the, just the, the dramatic transition that had it was representing from roll the bones like it was very much a new step forward mm -hmm. and along those lines i think permanent waves as well was a big break from from hemispheres and oh, totally. just like this anthemic intro and yet you know it closed out like natural science like you still have like the epic stuff you know extended stuff they were doing you know exploring interesting unique themes balanced with like this more sort of singles approach mm -hmm. so that would be that would be my three, I guess. I uh, I read recently. I, you know, I'm reading a book right now called Rush FAQ, and I'm almost done with it. And he's ta the author's talking about how it was a transition kind of area for the band. Whereas in my head, I've always thought of Permanent Waves as a sharp cutoff. But he talked hmm. about Natural Science, and then years later, a few years later, one year later, Camera Eye being another long tune and how those two sort of only being the only ones on the album kind of ease their way into the shorter, the era of shorter songs, which I never really thought of because mm -hmm. permanent waves always, you know, from uh, La Via into the spirit of radio was just so yeah. different, but I don't know I'm glad that we can agree on two of uh, two of the three <laughs> favorite albums. I, I'm happy that, like before I started doing the show when I was younger and I was a fan, I just loved Power Windows so much and I always thought I was the only one. I didn't know any other Rush fans, but I thought, there's nobody that thinks this is a good album except me. And here I am now and I've I talked to tons of Rush fans and it seems like that's the common denominator is that everyone can agree Power Windows is amazing. What, what qualities about it speak to you? Uh, well, I'm a, a bassist and uh, um, like a quasi-keyboardist. Um, on the bass side of things, I think it's hands down Getty Lee's best bass playing on that record. Hold Your Fire a close second. And I would stand by that until I die. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's, like you said, lyrically amazing. Um, the other two guys... Probably, I would say up there with Alex's best album, um, guitar-wise. And the mix, like uh, the mix on Grace Under Pressure was abysmal, I think, compared to Power Windows. 
everything about the record is amazing. Um, the overall mood, the underlying theme, the power theme for the album. It's thematic, but it's not a concept album. Everything about it is, and I think hands down, without a doubt, the best songwriting came out of that album. They weren't too riffy, they weren't too poppy, they were a perfect combination of all of those things. I, I, I think it's perfect. And now yeah, there are times was- when I, you know, I've listened to it so much, or there are times where I'm like, oh, Counterpart is definitely above it, though. And then the next day, Power of Windows is back there, and then it <laughs> snakes, it rotates all the time. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Like, Power Windows, it's really adventurous in a lot of ways. I mean, I think, like, even a song like Territories, where they're all doing crazy, you know, really out there things, like the guitar sounds he's using in the beginning and the drum rhythms. And I was really glad to see that album get a lot of love on the Clockwork oh, Angels yeah. tour. That, <laughs> that was, was a, a pleasant gift. surprise. Now, yeah, I was like, wow, is this happening? <laughs> it's almost, like, cool for people to mention how Emotion Detector contains one of the best solos. Now, it's one of the longest solos, I think. It's it's longer than a standard Rush solo would be, mm-hmm. and I do agree that it's amazing. I've often said it's one of the best, but then I think about the other songs in that album. I think Marathon has one of the top three solos. I think that um, Middletown Dreams has a fantastic solo. And then I've done, a, I've done an ep- episode of Rushcast where we talked about the best guitar solos and I ranked big money first. <laughs> so I, Oh wow. <laughs> I, I, I love the solos on that album as well. Right. Now here's the thing I thought of, I'm sitting here thinking of mystic rhythms and all the electronic drums. Here's something I thought of recently. The Neil comes out and one of the first things we find out about Neil's kit for this tour was that he wasn't going to include the electronics. Right, that was one of the first right. things we knew. Right. Later, we find out he's going to have that second kit, the throwback, and have some of the older gear. And I thought, if they're going to go from where they are now backwards, why wouldn't he include the electronics? Maybe they right. maybe they figured the set list out, and he realized I'm not going to touch that thing the whole show. Why even have it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's. And I think what also what they were really trying to accomplish with that set list, you know, I think they, from the interviews I read, I think they felt they gave that era a lot of attention on the previous tour. Yeah. And this one was a focus, like they were really digging deep. So I, I admire that in a way, like if you even look at their stage setup, I mean, just how they, they've kind of gone through the years, like it's almost full circle in some ways like you, yeah, the kit gets you bigger and bigger and bigger, but then in a way like to put those limitations on yourself, like it's not going to spin around. There aren't drums behind him and he's taken away the electronics and yet you still have to create and compose these things and and bring them alive. There's, there's almost a, there's a, there's gotta be a a great challenge in that. That's rewarding as a musician. And if you notice that second kit is a vastly different setup like his old it kits were set is. up differently, so I, I heard him mention briefly that he has to rehearse with both of them. He has to rehearse because the drums are in different places for different songs. I read some quote with him in some interview for this tour. He was, was like cursing himself out, like, "What was I thinking setting this up?" <laughs> you know, at the time like that, now to relearn. That is remarkable dedication to to detail because really he didn't have to do that yeah. at all. Yeah. 
at all. And so that's I, I really admire that. I, w- I will say that Alex having three stacks of marshals was a little uh, maybe it was done because of the timing of taking the amps away. But I can't yeah. recall a time <laughs> ever where he had marshals stacked three cabs high. <laughs> that was a, yeah. a small thing for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that is a that, that's a tall tower of amps, man. Um, yeah. But I was happy well, to see visual. the Hughes and Kettners get some love. I think uh, that's, for me, one of, I've often thought about the Snakes era, the Vapor Trails um, stuff in the 2000s. I thought everyone had great tone then. I loved the Hughes and Kettner sound that Alex had on Snakes and Arrows. I mm-hmm. think I listened to Rio a little bit this morning, and Getty's just got the nastiest sound with his base it's 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 kind of dulled through the years like he's added some things and it's not as in your face but i liked it in your face right what'd you think of like the the wall he was using i guess in the late 80s with a real like pluck plucky sound yeah well i guess the wall i mean said all i said all those things about his sound on power windows and i i think he played the wall on power windows um if I compare the wall to the Steinberger from Grace Under Pressure, I'm taking <laughs> right. the wall every single second of my life. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but I, from what my dad tells me and other people who are dinosaur age, um, those were like the bases to play, both the Steinberger and the wall. He's um, He said when Steinber- yeah. Steinbergers came out, everyone who was anyone was playing them. And the same with the wall. Every bass player had a wall in the late 80s. Um, I'm taking the Rick or the jazz bass <laughs> over both of them, but I, you know, I don't mind the wall. I thought if he was gonna, if he was gonna pull all these different bases out from different eras and he did get a little bit older with his bases through the, the concert, mm-hmm. um, I thought he would include a wall in there somewhere. I was kind of surprised, but I know, I guess he was kind of collecting vintage bases, not so much bases from his career. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the thing. I'm really looking forward to to the DVD, and I saw that um, Mr. Uh, Botrill, who you had interviewed yep. uh, a couple episodes ago, he's actually doing the mix for the for the DVD. So I was really excited. No about way! That. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was really excited to see that because just his, I, I really connected with his sensibilities and what he did for Vapor Trails, and I I don't know maybe. Maybe it's my age. I don't know, but I find like I've been wearing earplugs to Rush since Test for Echo, really, uh-huh. um, because it's hard for me to kind. Of, it just in the arena, it sounds like a big wash of sound. Sure. And I find that wearing the earplugs um, not only gets it to a manageable volume, but it just kind of cleans it up, so I can really hear <laughs> the mix better. Like what David uh, did to the to yeah the paper trails, <laughs> right? So. Um, so I actually got a lot more out of the out of the show, and even even with R forty, my my son had those, and I'm sure you've seen them in the last DVDs for like Time Machine, and like they, when they're kids in the audience, they've got the over the ear like hunters headphones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got those for him, and then I just had the little foam guys that uh, my wife and I did. We just jammed those in areas, but it just made all the difference for me. But I'm really looking forward to revisiting the show on dvd same i think i'm going to appreciate some of those songs better when i get to really hear them mixed well Um, yeah oh man especially that second half yep like cygnus detuned like that was tough to hear where i was sitting 
Uh I think the DVD will do it justice, though. Now, I wore earplugs to this show. I've I've brought earplugs to rock shows before and taken them out five minutes in Mm -hmm. and just said, well, this is stupid. I want to enjoy it, like a rock concert. (laughs) Um, Since then, I've taken classes in music school uh, all about hearing protection and hearing damage. Uh, and how important it is so as a musician i'd like to be able to hear when i'm older than 23 years old so i bought a nice (laughs) pair of uh filtered in-ear i don't know if they're plugs or what what you want to call them um earplugs that don't necessarily they're not just foam but they kind of filter the sound i left them in the whole show they sounded incredible like you said oh great totally worth it Um, yeah now you mentioned well, first I want to—I'm developing this reputation, Brian, on the show as like the Vapor Trails guy. Okay. And I think it's because I did a whole episode devoted to the new Vapor Trails remix. Then I brought on the producer and did a whole episode about it there. And since right. then, I've asked every guest about it. But I'm, I'm genuinely very curious to see—it's sort of fifty-fifty in my experience. You sound like mm-hmm. you enjoy the remix. Um, are there any? songs that you felt were improved greatly or songs that you liked better on the original uh no (laughs) i i really loved everything he did uh on the on the remix i mean mainly it it just aside from the obvious where it was just it just made more sense to listen to it just was clear cleaner and it just sounded like three guys playing you know as opposed to this you know washed out wall of noise yeah um i really enjoyed some of the choices he made you know changed it changing up uh, one little victory and um secret touch that breakdown section and the echo of the the tagline you know the way out is the way in coming through and it's uh just stuff like that just really punched up the material i thought i thought it was strong material to begin with but it was just hard to listen to and hard to connect with because it just it was painful on, on headphones with but the original it, I, I was like i would often struggle to just find an eq setting on my ipod that would help me at all yeah you know those ipod presets are god awful to begin with but yeah I, I i gave up on my ipod i got one of those uh sansa clip players oh i hadn't heard of that yeah they re- it's it's funny because it's such a cheap little mp3 player like maybe 40 bucks and there's a software uh open source software you can install on it called Rockbox, just not to uh, go off on too far a tangent. Sure. But the, e- the EQs on, on the EQ on that uh, little tiny player with that software, they're so robust and it sounds like for 50 bucks, it's a million times better than any <laughs> Apple iOS uh, device for listening. So I was like, all right. So I like I it. loaded that up and never looked back. Yeah. You, um, you mentioned the test for echo tour. Yeah. Have you you saw that tour? Did you see Vapor Trails? Did you see Counterparts, Roll of Bones? Yeah, so Presto was my first, uh, and I um, was starting high school when I went to that. And uh, so technically the first band I saw was Mr. Big, because they were the opener. Mm-hmm. Uh, I missed out Roll of the Bones. Counterparts I went to uh, in Minnesota. I got to see Primus open up and then Test for Echo uh i missed vapor trails came back for feedback i figured rush and i at the time were celebrating our 30th birthday so be good to see those guys again um Um, so did you you must have saw the rabbits 
Oh, yeah. What, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> it was fun because when I saw um, Presto, again, it's like pre-internet. So there were no YouTube clips or it was you couldn't really find photos of the tour right, or even really right. talk talk about it with anyone. You didn't know what you were in for. And I'd never been to a rock show before. So I watched a show of hands, that videotape, like a million times. And that, you know, and it was in a way like the Presto set list was kind of a reworked version of the hold your fire set list, you know, with the new songs added in. Yep. Um, but a lot of it was the same. And so, you know, there were certain things I was looking for. Like I knew the Tom Sawyer intro video or even the, the animated characters that intro the show. But then like the rabbit stuff started up. That was hilarious. And they were rocking around to Tom Sawyer, the roadies on the side, you know, kind of yanking on the strings, I guess, to bounce these balloons around. Because that's a, and then for, that's an era that I'm unfamiliar with. Terms of, in terms of tours because there's no live album for it. And I could go online and watch the bootlegs, but some of them are painful. Um, yeah. So were the were the rabbits there? Did they appear as the show started, or were they just there when you got to the venue? No, no, they appeared. Um, there was a video or some kind of animation or something, and then the, ra- the, like, the top hats and the rabbits inflated. Uh, I want to say it was like before Tom Sawyer. Nice. And when I saw them, they showed up again in Counterparts, and there was a really funny kind of He montage. murdered one of them, didn't he? They they blew it up, yeah. <laughs> so they shoot a bullet, and then one of them explodes, and that was pretty funny. So that was so. Counterparts that showed up again? Counterparts that showed up again, It was uh, I remember it was Leave That Thing Alone. Wow. Um, I, in my head, I always up. thought that was, like I said, I don't know anything about that like 90s era. In terms of yeah. live shows, I always thought it came back in the next tour at Bones. I don't know. I miss Roll the Bones, so I don't know. But it did come back for Counterparts. And it was a. And since Presto was my entry point, it was a drag to see that album just get less yeah, and less yeah, love yeah. and just, you know, <laughs> forgotten about as it went on. But um, just on the side note of bootlegs, I mean, I loved bootlegs uh, as a kid. And then when I was in college, too, again, you're not finding them online. You got to, like, trade them with people, you know, and people are very protective and you're trading right. cassettes and stuff like that and then videotapes now you can find all that on youtube so there is some pro shot stuff of counterparts there's some rehearsal video for presto and i think some there is some pro shot of presto as well so you can check it out and see the rabbit i think they have the footage of the rabbit blown up certainly the video that i would like to see a video version of uh different stages i know it was cut from different songs from different tours and in different concerts but i would like to see the video of it yeah. because this, my next question, what was the set like on Counterparts and Test for Echo? I know, didn't Counterparts have big nuts and bolts everywhere? Um, mm-hmm. Was there anything fancy for Test for there Echo? Were, well, uh, I'm just remembering on Counterparts, there were also the flames for Double the Agent. What? With, there oh, were really? flames. Yeah, like jets <laughs> of fire like shot up behind uh, behind them during the uh, Oh, I the would course, love to the hear that song of, uh, You know. Yeah, and so um yeah, there and there's some soundboard bootlegs from that tour. Uh Animated is the name of the bootleg I had. I think it was their huh. last night in Toronto. Um so you can hear Double Agent nice, nice. Um, okay. on that one. Uh Test for Echo, I'm trying to remember set pieces like that. I think that was I think that I was, was the first year of the say, washing machine. I think Getty had something weird right in his back line that year. Or vending yeah. <laughs> machines, that's what it was. Or the fridge. Uh, I I I do remember 
some, some he got something out of the fridge maybe before half the world or something like that but yeah it was oh, just I'm really fun, jealous fun Brian, that, that you got to see so many songs that i just missed out on my opportunity you know the whole not being born thing <laughs> well didn't they release i don't know what i was thinking <laughs> <laughs> little things like that well you're you're lucky because you live in the uh the virtual time machine era so you can just fire that, up that youtube true, or yeah. what have you and um it it you can relive right, it. man. This was fun. I want to talk um, uh, talk briefly about your your own podcast. Okay, what is it? It's uh, Ultimate Spin uh, Podcast. Yeah, right? I. It, yeah, it's about as far from from Rush as you can. Hey, get, man, if you're but, talking uh, fan bases, I think this music. is right up. This is as close as you're going to get on a rock podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a uh, it's a comic book podcast specifically about Spider Man, and it is the world's only Spider-Man podcast that's not about <laughs> Peter Parker, uh, but it's actually about Miles Morales, who is also Spider-Man uh, in an alternate continuity. And we started covering him because he's an interesting character uh, for a couple of reasons. He's a younger character. He's uh, living up to a legacy because in this universe, Peter Parker has died. So he's trying to figure out how to kind of live up to what being Spider-Man is all about. He's also a mixed-race character, which was a pretty bold step for Marvel to do. Um, so we've been covering that for about a year, and we've interviewed um, some of the creators involved. And in the last several months, our show has expanded to another alternate Spider-Man character. There's Spider-Gwen, oh, man. <laughs> which is a version of where Gwen Stacy became Spider-Woman, and it is one of the most rock and roll Is there a Gwen Carnage? just got... <laughs> uh, not in this continuity yet, but you will appreciate that Gwen in this universe is the drummer in a rock band called the wow. Mary James. Uh, and uh, there is actually a band out there um, that's friends with the artist that have been recording songs as the Mary Jane. So there's kind of this unofficial soundtrack for the comic book that's Very happening. Cool. And it's so much fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. So we're having a good time covering that. So we're, like I said, we're talking to creators and yeah, you can find us at ultimate spin ultimatespinpodcast.com. Very cool. And and yep. it's uh we have a lot in common, Brian. We both like Rush and I actually have the only Rush podcast that isn't about Peter Parker. So, we have, <laughs> Yeah, well it's played. So funny. I said, you know, I looked around and somehow and we said, found you know each what? other. <laughs> there are a lot of Rush podcasts, but none of them aren't about not comic book character. Okay. Uh, Brian, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Likewise. I had a good time. Thanks. All right. Um, check out Brian on the internet. Check him, uh, check him out at Ultimate Spin Podcast or on Ultimate Spin Podcast. Do you have a website or anything you, or a Twitter handle or something? Sure. Well, you can find our website, ultimatespinpodcast.com, and we're tweeting at the Ultimate Spin. And then I tweet comic books and music and all kinds of nonsense at project underscore three seven. All right, Brian, thanks a lot. Brought to you no, by... Brought to you by Knickerbock.